This message was recorded at North 2012, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Thank you very much, Steve. Great. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Oh, you're very kind. Well, it is really quite exciting to preach off the back of somebody who's 21 years old who was born blind, seeing two minutes before you start to preach. So this is, this is a good start. We're grateful to God, aren't we, for what he's doing. Well, you know, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I thought I'd just introduce myself by saying that three years ago, my wife, Julia, gave birth to our fourth and, in my opinion, final child. She's called Emma. She does actually have legs. It's just for some reason that I don't really understand. You can't see them in this photo, but they, they are there somewhere. But anyway, I have one wife, and uh, I have four daughters, and my wife is called Julia. And I thought, just to you know, help us get to know each other at the start of the talk, I would just tell you how I first got together with Julia, who is now my wife, 16 years ago. Would you be interested? Uh, I, I knew that you would be interested. Anyway, I really liked uh, Julia. I really liked Julia, but I was absolutely convinced that she would not like me for one very good reason. I thought that she was too good-looking for me. Thank you for that, R. Yeah, it's true. Front row, I'm not surprised. No, folks, this, this was a fact that was confirmed to me by all of my friends. They all said, look, it stands to reason. Look, you know, common sense dictates it's never going to happen. But look, the fact is there were 20 of us, and we were all going to go ice skating on a bank holiday money. 20 friends and uh, 20 people. Now, I was one of the nominated drivers uh, for the trip to the ice dome. 20 people, four cars. I have to tell you that not only did Julia get into my car, my, my marine blue Ford Sierra. Oh, yeah. Two litre. But she actually sat in the passenger seat. But at the time, I thought nothing of that. Well, she just wants to go ice skating, I thought. Folks, when it comes to ice skating, I have a problem. In that although I can ice skate quite fast, I can't change direction or stop. <laughs> so all I can do is race across the ice, slam into the boards, turn around, race across the ice, slam into the boards. And so I spend quite a lot of the afternoon session spread eagle face down on the ice. Now, the first time I fall over, I catch Julia out the corner of my eye, laughing at me. But the second time I fall over, she comes over to help me up. Ooh, what is Well, at the time, 
I just thought she felt sorry for me. Here's this pathetic figure on the ice. You know, I should help those less fortunate than myself. Anyway, at the end of the day, we all go back to somebody's house to watch a video. 20 people. Judy was the last of the 20 people to enter the room. And not only did she come to sit in my side of the room, but she actually chose to sit on the carpet right next to the chair that I was sitting in. In fact, looking back, I probably should have offered her. (laughs) My chair. But that was the moment. That was the moment I thought, maybe the seemingly impossible dream that Julia Brown would like me is coming true. And I have to tell you, that was an electric feeling. And you know, I can honestly say, that I've only ever had that same electric feeling on one other occasion in my life. And that was on the day when I began a relationship with God. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not sure that you have got that relationship with God, I would love to give you an easy opportunity to begin that relationship afresh tonight. So maybe you'd love to know the power and the security and the love of God in your life. Or maybe you're you're not sure that if, perish the thought, if you were to die tonight, you don't know for sure that you go straight to heaven. You'd say, well, you know, I hope so. But tonight you can know so. Because even though none of us are good enough, Jesus Christ is good enough. So all you have to do is put your hand into his hand because he's good enough. Actually, he does all the work. So at the end of this message, what I'd love to do is I'll just invite Matt and the guys to come back and we'll just sing a song of response. Then I'll just offer a a very brief prayer for you. If you want to make that prayer your prayer, I'll ask you, first of all, just to raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to make that prayer my prayer. And then I'll invite you to come forward from wherever you are and come and stand here at the front because we would love to pray for you. We would love to earth this for you and get the best possible result in terms of going forward with the rest of your life. Is that cool? So that's how we'll finish up, if that's okay, uh, when we're done. So I thought maybe we could get into our subject uh, for this evening by me telling you about a funny thing that happened at a wedding anniversary meal. This was a romantic occasion that was going really well. So well that I plucked up the courage to ask my wife, Julia, a question that I had never, ever asked her before. I asked her, why, why did you marry me? <laughs> and she replied, well, I could see that you needed help. Incredulous. I said, what do you mean? She said, she said, you weren't normal, she said. She said, you needed sorting out. Now, she wasn't kidding because, listen, folks, for the three years before I got married to Julia, for those three years, I only ate tinned meat. Yeah. I had four tins that I used to rotate. Sainsbury's chili con carne, Sainsbury's chicken madras, Sainsbury's chicken korma, And in my opinion, the prince of Sainsbury's Tim Meat Range, Chicken Supreme. (laughs) In fact, Julia looked me in the eye once and she said, Look, 
I know dogs that have got a more varied diet than you. And I look back on, you know, those years before I was married now, and I think, you know, why didn't I bother cooking something proper for myself? And actually, at the time, I couldn't see the point. Now, there are many people who feel that way about life. They can't see a point. I mean, life is sometimes exciting, sometimes it's difficult, but, you know, what is the point? Folks, the Bible says there is a point to life. Hey, the good news is the Bible says there is a reason why you, in particular, are here. There's a reason why... You find yourself living on the surface of this beautiful blue planet in this universe. It's because there really is a God. Now, it it could well be, perhaps, that you haven't personally experienced this loving God yet. But the Bible says, nevertheless, he does exist. And the Bible says this God has a personality. He is, in the Bible, described as a loving father. And so this loving Father has created you deliberately on purpose because He has a good plan for your life and wants to enjoy a relationship with you. The great thing is it's not any good for this life, but it goes on into the next, into a place in heaven where every day is better than the one before. But like any loving parent, God doesn't force His love upon you. So at the end, yeah, the band will come back and I'll pray a prayer and I'll say, if you want to make that prayer a prayer, raise your hand. You don't have to. It's entirely up to you. God gives you freedom of choice. And the message of the Bible, some people have said, could best be described in one verse. Some people have called this verse the Bible in miniature. And it encapsulates the message of the Bible by simply saying that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And I love the word so in this verse, that God so loved the world that he was prepared to sacrifice what was most precious to him just to get you. I mean, how cool is that? He gave up what is most precious to him just so that you could have eternal life. This verse means that you can live forever doesn't matter what your background is, what your worldview is. Great news. You can have eternal life. God so loved you that he sent his only son so that you could experience eternity with him. Hey, you can live forever in a wonderful place. Such is the love of God for you. However, this verse has one word in it, which when I first came across this verse, I must admit I wasn't too happy with this particular verse, and it is the word perish. And so I thought uh, I could just perhaps tell you a hilarious story about how this word perish first became meaningful to me. Folks, I need to tell you that I didn't used to go to church. In fact, I didn't know anyone my age who went to church. But I was invited along out of the blue to Wimbledon Baptist Church. And I went back to this church four times. On the fourth time that I ever went to the 6.30 evening service, a hilarious thing happened whereby um, at the end of the service, everyone's kind of milling around, you know, and I look around and I can see that the pastor, the church leader, whose name was Norman Moss, he was standing by the door shaking everybody's hand as they left. There was a long queue of people waiting to talk to him. And it suddenly dawned on me, there is no other way out of this building. 
I am going to be rumbled as a new person. So this is potentially uncool. So I think, oh no, well, we'll just have to hope for the best. So I joined the end of the queue and I kept my head down to avoid eye contact until the last possible moment. The queue is getting shorter and shorter. I'm kind of hiding like this. And then, of course, the moment of truth comes. And Norman thrusts out his hand. He says, hello, hello, I'm Norman, hello. And I'm like, um, uh, hello, um, I'm Adrian. He says, oh, he says, are you new? Are you new? And I was like, oh, yes, I'm new. And Norman, I mean, cringe upon cringe. I mean, Norman, he doesn't beat around the bush. Oh, no, Norman comes straight out. He says, are you a Christian? And the frustrating thing about Norman's deceptively simple question, are you a Christian, is that if just four short weeks before, if somebody had stopped me, I don't know, uh, in the high street, you know, with a clipboard and a pen, and they said, oh, hello, uh, we're just uh, stopping members of the public at random uh, this morning, just asking them this question, are you a Christian? Four weeks before, I could have said yes. Four weeks before, I could have said, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because, uh, I don't know, uh, why am I a Christian? I'm a Christian because, uh, because I believe in God, for one thing. Yeah? And secondly, I'm a Christian because I've never done anything really bad. I've never killed anyone. Secondly. And thirdly, I'm a Christian because I try and treat people in the way that I would like them to treat me. I mean, that wasn't true, but I would have said that. And fourthly, I'm a Christian because I was baptized as a baby. I'll have you know. And fifthly, I'm a Christian because I'm British. (laughs) But in the four short weeks that I had been attending the Baptist church, I had discovered that there was more to being a Christian than being British and not killing people. So when Norman asked me me the question, are you a Christian? In a foolish, foolish moment of honesty, I answered, I don't know. This is like a red rag to a bull. (laughs) Norman's eyes widen. He's filled with a sense of purpose and destiny. And he goes into sort of turbo church. I was born for this moment. The reason I exist is for moments like these. Yes, now I discover my purpose in life. And he was like suddenly transformed. And so without letting go of my hand, he leads me across the foyer of Wimbledon Baptist Church and we sit down on this bench and all the people who are queuing up to leave stop and watch. (laughs) I'm sitting on this bench. It's Norman Moss and me and all these people are watching. Do you know, this is not an exaggeration. This is the first thing he says. He says to me, Adrian, I want you to imagine... A grassy field. <laughs> he said, Adrian, what colour is the grassy field? I said, uh, uh, Norman, it, it, it's a green field. He says, yeah, it's, right, it's a green field. It's a green field. Now, he said, I want you to imagine a sheep in the green field. He said, what colour is the sheep compared to the field? What colour is the sheep compared to the field? I said, uh, 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 Norman, it, it, it's, it's a white sheep. He says, right, it's a white sheep in the green field. And he said, now, Adrian, I want you to imagine the white sheep in the green field, and then it snows. 
And he paused for dramatic effect. And then he asked me this question, what color, Adrian, is the sheep now compared to the snow? (gasps) I could see the cocks in Norman's mind turning. You see, compared to the green grass, looks like a pretty white sheep. And wouldn't you agree? I mean, compared to the green grass, it is a white sheep. But compared to the snow, oh, compared to the snow. Compared to the snow, it doesn't look so white. Oh, no, compared to the snow, sheep now looks dirty white or cream or off-white or something other than completely white. And if I said so, he would then go, ah, in the same way, he'd be able to say, in the same way, Adrian, you probably feel that when you compare yourself, Adrian, to murderers and people who do terrible things, you probably feel that you look pretty white and pure and holy when you compare yourself to murderers. But, Adrian, you must surely be able to see that when you compare yourself to God, who is as morally pure as the driven snow, you must surely be able to see, Adrian, that compared to God, you're dirty white, you're cream, you're off-white, you're something other than completely white. And then he'd be able to say... And that, Adrian, is why actually you are not pure enough for a pure heaven. You're not good enough to go to heaven as you are. You're not pure enough for a holy God. That, Adrian, he'd then be able to say, is why you actually, if you're ever going to go to heaven, you need to be washed. You need to be transformed. You need to be cleansed. You need to be renewed. Then he'd be able to say, Adrian, that is why you really need to become a Christian. It was a trap. Huh. Trapped in the Baptist church. All these people are watching. I'm thinking, I'm sitting on this bench thinking, what am I going to do? What color is the sheet compared to the snow? This question is just churning around in my mind. And then the solution to my dilemma occurs to me. I will simply pretend that I don't understand the illustration. So Norman says, what color, Adrian, is the sheep compared to the snow? I said, well, oh, Norman, we just, it's a white sheep. We just said so a minute ago. He said, no, you don't think, Adrian, that compared to the snow, you don't think that compared to the snow, you don't think that it looks dirty white or cream or rub white or something like that? You don't think that? And I said, well, no, Norman, it's a white sheep. We just said so a minute ago. He said, oh. He said, uh, you, you don't understand the illustration. I said, no, I'm afraid I don't. And he let me go. So I left. Yeah. So I, I went out to the Baptist church. I wandered through the town centre and just went up to... Uh, through Wimbledon Village to a pub called the Hand in Hand. And so I get my pint, and it was a nice uh, sort of spring evening, so I'm standing outside holding my pint, uh, you know, like you do when you're a bloke. This is how you stand, as I'm sure you know. So you stand like this in your kind of bloke pose like this. And do you know what? Norman's sheep illustration had got to me. Because I'm standing outside the pub thinking, now hang on a minute. If, just, you know, just imagine for a second, if perish the thought, I were to die tonight... And if God was, like, standing there, and if heaven was, like, everywhere behind him, like, all over the whole of Wimbledon Common and beyond, that's all heaven. Now, if God were to turn to me and say, oh, hello, um, Adrian Holloway, just, just seeing as you've recently died, I was just wondering if I could ask your opinion on something. I was just wondering, you know, in your opinion, Adrian, why do you think it is that I should let you into my heaven? And in that moment, I knew that I could not answer by saying, well, uh, (laughs) surprised to hear the question, uh, Lord. Um, Because, um, you know, you know how you're perfect and pure and you always have been? Guess what? So am I. (laughs) Yeah, who would have thought it from South West London? Yeah, so you're perfect, I'm perfect, you're pure, I'm pure, you've never done anything wrong, I have never done anything wrong, so I can just come straight on in into heaven. Now, I, I knew I couldn't say that. 
Now that night, I realized that actually compared to God, I'm dirty white, I'm cream, I'm off-white, I'm something other than completely white. And that night, for the first time in my life, a verse from the Bible seemed to be relevant to me. Because just before I left the Baptist church, Norm Moss had said to me, Adrian, there's a verse in the Bible that says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that night I thought, you know what? I think that's common sense, isn't it? I mean, whatever the glory of God is, I'm pretty sure that I've fallen short of it. So I wonder if I could just illustrate this um, with the help of some shirts. I've got here um, a few shirts. It could be that one of these is a bit like your life. So if this first one is you, then you're someone who's been burnt by life. Maybe you're here tonight and you've had a hard life. I mean, let's be honest, your life has been more difficult and more troubling, if you like, than perhaps some other folks here tonight. Life has been a bit of a roller coaster of ups and downs. There have been a few bumps along the road for you. And uh, people have come into your life and they've hurt you and left. And I want to encourage you, if this is your story, there is one advantage, it seems to me, If you are a broken person, then one good thing is that chances are you're not proud. Now, if you're not proud, you will actually find it easier than a lot of other folks here tonight to respond to God. Or maybe you look at this and you think, no, no, that's much too dramatic. Adrian, my life's not been anything like that. Maybe your life's been a bit more like this next shirt. And this next shirt is kind of mostly okay. It's It's got this one corner down here that's been burnt away. I don't know if you can see that. And I suspect this is a broken relationship. Now, I don't know whether he finished with you or you finished with him or she finished with you or you finished with her. Or maybe this was a broken relationship between you and your parents. Or maybe a broken relationship between your mum and your dad and you got caught in the crossfire. I don't know, but what I do know is that this pain is part of your story. This hurt's still part of who you are now, if you like. It shaped you in some way. Or maybe you look at this shirt and think, oh, no, 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 that's all much too dramatic. My, my life's not been as sort of dramatic as that. Maybe your life's more like this next shirt. And this next shirt is, is basically okay. I mean, if you were to come in close, you'd see here there are some spots down here at the bottom that have been burnt away. And maybe these are a bit like your thoughts. I mean, I don't know, but maybe, can you imagine that somebody has a video camera and somehow they had managed to film everything that you'd ever said, everything you'd ever thought, and everything you'd ever done. And just imagine that somebody got together that tape and they edited together your top ten worst ever thoughts. Now here is a question. How would you feel if somebody took those top ten worst ever thoughts of yours and projected them on these screens here at North tonight. Folks, if we have fallen short of our own standards, how much more have we fallen short of God's? Hey, I know if it was even one of mine, I would be gutted. Hey, if you knew what I was really like, I would be devastated. If you knew what I was really like, if it was even one of mine, I definitely wouldn't finish the talk. I mean, my car isn't too far away. I mean, I'd be out of here if you knew what I was really like. So I think probably if we really were watching here on the screens, our worst ever thought, probably most of us would be prepared to hold our hands up and say, you know what, I think it's true. I think I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so sometime later, 
I went back to the Baptist church. And sometime later, Norman Moss did this very quick visual aid thing that explained the astonishing way whereby in Christianity this terrible problem is solved. Norman said, just imagine for the sake of the argument that God is somewhere up here. Let's keep it simple, he said. And let's imagine that we are down here. And that there's nothing separating us from God. There's nothing in the way. Norman said, we're made for relationship with God, but, he said, all the wrong things we do, our sins, if you like, the times we put other things first in our life, this stuff comes in the way. It separates us from God. He said, not only have all of us sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he said, but hey, you know what? A hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here. He said, a hundred years from now, all of us are going to be standing before a holy God. And if we're separated from God by the wrong things we've done, we can't get through. We can't go to heaven when we die. He said, the Bible says that the result of sin or the wages of sin is death. He said, that's the bad news. Norman said, eternal separation. Eternal punishment, cut off from God forever, for all eternity. He said, that's the situation you're in right now. But then he said, hey, look at my left hand. He said, imagine my left hand is Jesus of Nazareth, the one man who claimed to have never sinned, who got millions of people to believe him. Norman said, Jesus never had anything separating him from his father until when he was around 33 years old, when he was nailed to a wooden cross, by a man called Pontius Pilate. And there, Norman said, as Jesus died on the cross, all of the sins of everyone who had ever trusted in him were placed upon Jesus. Norman said, bad news for Jesus as he dies on the cross, a death he didn't deserve. But Norman said, hey, look at my right hand. It isn't half good news for you and me. And that was the moment for me. That was the moment I got it. I could see the barrier had been removed. You see, That was the moment I got the people I met at the church. first person I ever met at the Baptist church was Dr. Alan Bryan. Dr. Alan Bryan was a maths lecturer at Imperial College. And he told me all through my life, he'd said, I'd always believed in a first cause. I'd always believed in an unmoved mover. I believed that there was a God. He said, but I never felt I knew him personally. He said, but when I put my trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross... He said, I began a relationship with God. Now, I remember thinking, you're teaching Mass at Imperial and you're in a relationship with God. Then I met somebody else. This young, was a young woman. She was doing teacher training at Roehampton at Froebel College. She said the same thing. She said, all through my life, I'd always believed there was a God, but I never felt I knew him personally. But she said, when I put my trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross in my place as my substitute, she said, My whole world jumped. I'll never forget the way she said it. My whole world jumped. And that was the moment for me. That was the first moment in my entire life when I came to understand that Christianity is not so much a religion. It is really a relationship. A relationship, in this case, between you and God. Because this means that you can come. That God so loved you that he really did give his one and only son up to death on the cross just so that you, tonight, could come into relationship with him. You can have eternal life. And it doesn't matter what your opinion is, what your worldview is, what your background is, however you might disqualify yourself. The good news is you can come. 
God loves you so much, he made it possible. He placed all of the sins of everyone who would ever trust in Christ upon Jesus Christ as he died on the cross so that you... This is why it's the most famous event in human history. It's why you see people wearing crosses around their necks all over the place. It's such a big deal because that event, as Jesus dies, means you can have eternal life. It's fantastic news. And I've said quite a lot tonight. I've referred to a relationship with God. Maybe you're kind of wondering, well, you know, what is God like? Well, we get a bit of an insight into the character of God. Even as Jesus dies on the cross, he is a man who went around claiming, either directly or indirectly, to be God. That's one of the unique things about Jesus. He claimed to be God. And yet here they are, a professional execution team, driving nine-inch nails into the hands and feet of a 33-year-old man who's claiming to be God. Now, this is when Jesus is at his most pressurized. This is, if he's going to crack, this is the moment. I mean, this is a painful experience. Nails, being crucified was a horrific business. And yet, as Jesus is crucified, what does he do? Call down curses on the execution team? No. As the blood is dripping out of his hands and feet, he prays for the guys who are on the team today. He prays for the crucifixion team. Father, forgive them. Amazing. That's how loving God is. And so if you do respond tonight, if you do put your hand up, if you do come to the front, this is what you receive. Because when Jesus, one of the best attested facts of ancient history, as we were establishing in a seminar earlier today, is firstly the empty tomb of Jesus of Nazareth, and secondly the physical resurrection appearances of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you do come to him tonight, if you do respond, this is what happens to you. You are covered over by the perfection of the resurrected Jesus. All of your stuff, all of your past, all of your wounds, all of your hurts, everything is covered over so that as you respond to him tonight, you, perhaps for the first time in your life, as you go to bed tonight, as you sleep tonight, you will look as pure and as holy in God's sight as Jesus Christ does. You can have his holiness. You can have his purity. You can have his righteousness. And you might say, yeah, but, I mean, that's all well and good to say that, but, you know, I don't deserve it. It doesn't matter because Jesus deserved it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, okay, I could put my hand up, I could come forward, but, you know, I could never kind of sustain this for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter because Jesus can sustain it for the rest of your life. Jesus is always going to be good enough. Hey, we may well have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus hasn't. Jesus has passed every holiness exam. He's ticked every holiness box. He's jumped through every holiness hoop. Jesus is good enough. You can have his holiness. You can have his righteousness. You can look as pure and as holy in God's sight as Jesus does. Amazing. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him you could become the righteousness of God. Now, how cool is that? Looking as pure as Jesus does. Yeah. You and me. Amazing. Fantastic. This is what's on offer tonight. And it's not hard to receive. You know, it's not hard to put your hand up and come to prayer. It's not a, a hard thing. Sometimes it's not hard to be clothed. You know, sometimes I'll be trying to get a T-shirt on my five-year-old Gracie, and it's all very difficult. It's all sort of elbows and arms. You know what? Sometimes she'll say to me, she'll say, Daddy, let's start again. And she'll do this. And I just put the t-shirt on, job done. Hey, 
It's not hard to be clothed with Christ. It's not hard to be, because He does all the work. Folks, the truth is, when I came to trust, to give the whole of my life to Christ, I did so because of the promise of sins forgiven, a a promise of eternity with God in heaven, where every day would be better than the one before. That's why I responded. But actually... In this life, I've received a few benefits that, to be honest, I wasn't expecting. I just want to mention them briefly as I close. Four quick things. Firstly, peace. I discovered a new peace that wasn't there before. Because now I discovered, hey, the God who made the universe is now at the steering wheel of my life. And after a while, I just started to worry less about stuff. And I found, hey, when you worry less, you enjoy life more. I mean, this is a big benefit for me. Second thing I realized is that now I've got Jesus who rose from the dead living with me. Now, when people met Jesus, they were overwhelmed by his compassion and his humility. He came for you. Right now, more than a billion people alive are following Jesus. And there was a man uh, who died recently called John Stott, a famous Bible teacher uh, in the 20th century and he, he was asked at the end of his life, you know, why did you choose to follow Jesus in the first place when you were a teenager? And John Stott said, you know, the, the thing for me was that I thought about the sort of things that Jesus claimed. You know, the fact that he went around drawing attention to himself, the, the fact that he went around um, talking about himself, drawing attention to his own importance. And John Stott said, you know, anyone who went around all the time talking about themselves or how they were the answer to the human dilemma, how they were ever so important. I always thought that anyone who talked like that, John Stott said, I always imagined that they would come over as unbelievably overbearing and arrogant and, to be honest, a bit annoying. But John Stott said what everybody agreed about Jesus was that he was the most humble person imaginable. And Norman said, how could that possibly be? How could you claim the things that Jesus claimed? And talk about yourself as the answer to the human dilemma all the time and yet come over to people as the picture of humility. That was the first thing for John Stott that got him thinking, hey, maybe this guy's for real. I mean, he claimed to be God. Could it be he was? You know, Jesus fulfilled 322 Old Testament predictions about the coming Jewish Messiah. All of these were written at least 400 years before Jesus was born. Jesus fulfilled All 322 of these predictions during his 33-year life, he fulfilled 29 of these predictions on a single day, the day that he died. And Jesus' miracles are going to take some explaining away. They're even referred to outside of the Bible in the Jewish Babylonian Talmud, which is a a source that's violently opposed to Christianity, and it talks about Jesus' miracles and wonders. Jesus was an amazingly warm-hearted person. Jesus reached out to struggling, hurting people. Jesus said things like this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Jesus wants to take your burdens from you tonight. Fantastic. Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He said, If you come and follow me, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Next thing that really helped me was receiving God's love. Now, we all have our insecurities, don't we? Yeah? Well, we work hard to cover over our insecurities, but then we find that a bit like wearing a hospital nightgown, we're not as well covered as we thought we were. And so we work hard 
Because, you know, we get stressed because we're trying to be a good person or we get stressed because we're trying to be popular or we get stressed because we're trying to succeed. We're trying to, you know, do all this stuff to look good or be popular or to be a success or to make ends meet or to be unselfish. But it's hard work, isn't it? You know, just keep up this thing. I don't know about you, but I get stressed when I'm trying to prove something. I mean, most of the time, uh, it's not actually to other people. In my vanity, most of the time, it's to myself. But when I came to know Christ, I tell you, it was like, wow, I've got nothing left to prove. I've got nothing left to prove. I am loved unconditionally by the God who made the universe. And that was fantastic to feel the change. Folks, this is the most famous attempt that Jesus ever made to explain what the love of the Father for you really is like. And if Jesus had a greatest hit CD, this would be his number one greatest hit. It's the story of a lost son. And you may know this story. There's a father figure and a son. Jesus likens the son to you and I and the father figure to God the Father. Act 1, scene 1, son says to the father, Dad, one day when you die, I'm going to get quite a lot of your money, but you're not dead yet. I find that a bit inconvenient, so give me your money now. Now, amazingly, the father says yes. And so... The son goes off and he wastes all the money. You know, money runs out. Eventually, he's at the wit's end and he's down on his knees and he's, you know, he's trying to eat pig food. He cannot even get the pods the pigs are eating. He thinks anything would be better than this. He thinks, I know I've blown it with my dad. I mean, it's obviously never going to be the same. But maybe I could be like one of the guys that works on the farm, like a hired hand. And so he's going home, practicing his little speech. Oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Make me like one of your hired men. But the good news for you tonight is the Father, who presumably must have been pacing up and down every day, thinking this might just be the day when my boy comes home, when he sees you coming back, even tonight. Jesus says what happens is God the Father hitches up his skirts, bears his legs, and he runs. I mean, this is an exciting moment in the Bible. God runs to you. And if you're a bloke here tonight, check this one out. Jesus says that God kisses you. Yeah. He throws his arms around you. He spins you around and says, quick, get the best robe and put it on his back. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate. And the angel goes rejoicing in heaven. And folks, that's what's going to happen tonight. Because God's heart is beating fast that you're here tonight. God's excited about you. And so what will happen in a few minutes, as I close in a few moments, is this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. Same chapter where he tells the story of the lost son. He says, what happens in heaven when one person repents, when one person comes back to God? Something like this will happen in this meeting in about four minutes. Okay, four or five minutes, all right? So this is what's going to happen. God the Father will say to the angels, 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 gather round and come with me to north. And all the angels say, what, again? And and God says, yeah, again, come on, come on. And all the angels come, and they all gather round, and they all come to north, back at north yet again, like last year. They're all there. And then God the Father will say, look, can you see on the very back row? Can you see the guy in the blue T-shirt with his hand up? You see him there? That is Andy. That's my boy. That's the one I was telling you about. Isn't he great? I told you he'd come for it. Didn't I tell you? He put his hand up. Yes, you told us. Isn't he fantastic? And all the angels go, woo! Hello, that's fantastic, Andy. Whoa, Andy. 
thank God the Father will say, Angels, angels, come over here, come over here. Look, 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 look. can you see over here? Can you see second block from the end? Third person in, second row from the back of the second block, lady in the white t-shirt, that is Becky. I told you she put her hand up, didn't I tell you? Oh, yes, you told us. Yes, I told you. Isn't she great? That's my girl. Whoa, Becky and all the angels go, whoa. Folks, this is what really happens. You know, folks, these angels, listen, these angels, the angels, the angels in heaven, according to Jesus, are not bored cynical British angels, you know, who are like, oh man, right, what is it we've got to do, what is it again, we've got to rejoice, right, okay, what's his name, Andy, what, we've got to rejoice, yeah, right, woo, how many times have we got to do this, what, oh, goodness sake, what's her name, Becky, Woo. No, the angels began, Woo! The angels rejoice. Hey, I don't know whether anybody else celebrates your life, but I do know this. God celebrates your life. God runs to you tonight, throws his arms around you and says, quick, put the best robe on her. Put a ring on her finger. Put sandals on her feet. Let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate. God celebrates your life. This is the picture that God the Father is described as by Jesus. Now, I don't know what kind of a dad you had growing up. Maybe you had a great dad. Or maybe you had a dad who wasn't there a whole lot of the time. Or maybe your dad was physically present, but he was emotionally withdrawn. I don't know what kind of dad you had. But I do know this. The picture that Jesus paints of God the Father is of a father who will run to you, who will hold you tight tonight and who will whisper in your ear, I am your father. And I am really proud of you. Come on, what do you guys think of that? Is that good? Last thing and I'm done. Last thing, the fourth thing. I've kept this to last uh, because it was the most important difference for me. Freedom Freedom from the past. Folks, it seems to me, can you imagine that everybody goes through life carrying a bag? Now, into this bag, we put offenses. Times, I mean, inevitably, people will offend us as we go through life. The older we get, the more offenses we receive. But most of the time, we can, you know, we don't have to carry these offenses. We can shrug them off. It's like a passing motorist or, you know, it's no big deal. The ones that we tend to carry with us, they are the ones when somebody offends us. And quite honestly, we have good reason to expect better treatment from that person. Or maybe they were a family member. Or maybe they were somebody we'd invested in that relationship with that particular person. And actually what happened was unfair. I mean, it was wrong what happened. And I mean, inevitably, we, we can't shrug that off and say it doesn't matter. We, you know, inevitably, we carry these offenses with us as we go through life. Now, the great thing is because we're British people, our whole kind of psyche is, oh, you don't sit around and feel sorry for yourself. You've got to plow on. And so this is what you're doing. This is what we all do. We plow. We say, well, you know, I've got these kids to raise. I've got the mortgage to pay. I can't sit around feeling sorry for myself. I mean, this is life, you know. No one ever promised it would be fair, so I've got to keep going. And so you, you go through life, okay. Well, okay, but actually the pain's still there. In fact, even now, the pain is still there, isn't it? Folks, the best thing for me about becoming a Christian, about being clothed with Christ, was that when I was clothed with Christ, I was able for the first time to let that bag go and find that Jesus was willing to take those offenses 
and to go to the cross for me. And there on the cross, Jesus became an offense. There on the cross, God made him who knew no sin, this perfect, beautiful man, Jesus of Nazareth, to become sin for you. So that in him, you tonight can become the righteousness of God. That's how good a deal it is. Do you want to say yes? Do you want to come? Because you can, if you want to. This makes not just for a happy life, but for a joyful life. You know, at the start I said that I had four daughters. Truth is, God has one son, and yet loved you enough to give up his only son, just so that you could come to him. And you can if you want to. So right now, he'll bind up all your wounds. He'll come, and whatever has happened to you in life, he'll cover it over. You can come to Christ right now. Christ who says, I am the light of the world. Christ who says, I am the resurrection and the life. If anybody dies, provided they believe in me, they'll live and never die. Christ who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You can come to him, and you can come to him right now. And if you do come to him, when I invite you, here's the great thing. As you make your way from wherever you are in this place tonight, as you make your way to the front, you will find God the Father running to you. And if you come forward, he'll throw his arms around you and he'll say, I am your father and I'm really proud of you. And you tonight can be embraced back in the arms of your loving, heavenly father. Amen. I wonder if the band could come and join me. You can have this new start in life with Jesus Christ living with you. In fact, you can write your name into this verse. Let me just say the verse again, but this time I'll say my name. And if you like, as I say my name, if it helps, you can just think yours. I mean, there's no need to say your name out loud, but if it helps, why don't you just think your name as I say mine? That God so loved, just say your name, God so loved Adrian Holloway that he gave his one and only son that if Adrian Holloway would believe in him, Adrian Holloway won't perish. No, Instead, Adrian Holloway will have eternal life. Do you want to write your name into that verse tonight? Because you can if you'd like to. And so what I'm going to do now is Matt's going to lead us in a song. And as he does, I'll come back off the back of the song. We'll all stand and sing. And then I'm going to offer a really brief prayer. The prayer just simply says, God, I'm saying yes to you. Dear God, I want to say yes to you. It's a very brief prayer. And then I'll ask you if you want to make that prayer your prayer just to raise your hand. And then if you have raised your hand, we'd love to pray for you. So if you do raise your hand, please do come to the front. We'd love to pray with you and earth this view. So let's stand together, shall we? Matt's going to lead us. Let's sing together and then we'll pray.